Speaking of people, which we all are, this is our Build Your House. We're looking at the life of Joseph for the next four weeks. We started last week, so we're into week two. You can catch up online. But Joseph has a dream, and he makes a choice. And his brothers make a choice. And as a result of the collective choices that they make, uh, both become wounded. Both parties become wounded, and they become enslaved to different masters. And so again, due to choices, everyone whisper choices. Due to choices, Joseph has gone from a dream to a pit, which is not the way he saw his life going, which is not the direction he saw it going. But nevertheless, that's where he finds himself. Due to the choices, primarily, yes, he makes a bad choice, but he's not deserving of a pit. He makes a bad choice, but his brothers make a grave choice, and he finds himself in a pit. And so what is true for Joseph, though, is equally true for all of us today, which is whom you are becoming is directly connected to the choices that you're making. Whom you are becoming is directly connected to the choices that you are making, or I would add, actively not making. And circumstances in our lives, they do matter greatly, absolutely. But choices have a larger influence on who we are becoming. And all of you know this to be true. You can take the same two people who go through the identical circumstances, but yet they come out differently on the other end. And so, yes, circumstances matter, and they're not to be diminished. However, our choices have a greater influence, our choices and the choices of those around us, on whom we are becoming. Here's what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 to 2. Now, Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards bought him from the Ishmaelites. Pause right here. When Joseph finds himself into a pit, I do think that for those of you who have a prophetic gifting, maybe you can pray into this because I don't. But for those of you who do have the spiritual gift of prophecy, you may want to lean in here because I do think that there are some prophetic undertones that when you and I find ourselves in a pit, a literal one or a pit of anger, of discouragement, of frustration, of disillusionment or disappointment with one another, the first hand in that gets us out there is not always a healing hand. Joseph finds himself in a pit, and yes, there's a hand that reaches in to get him out, and it was the hand here of the Ishmaelites, but the Ishmaelites only reached in to see him for their own purposes. Anger and all the things in culture, yes, it may pull you out of something, but it's not always a healing hand. Though it gets you from, it may not necessarily get you to where it is God intends. Now, God can, he'll work outside of all of it, and that's beautiful, but I do think there's some prophetic undertones there. So bought from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord, it says, the Lord was with Joseph, and he had become a successful man serving in the house of his Egyptian master. And the Hebrew writers, the authors who wrote this for us, really want us to understand and play on those two words because they mess with our minds. Number one, it says that he became a successful man, and everyone say, I like that. But then directly beyond that, what does it say? Serving in the household of his Egyptian master because how we define success and how it's being written here are entirely different. My definition of success would not be to be enslaved. So it says the Lord is with him. He becomes successful, yet he's still circumstantially in a place where he doesn't want to be. I'm going to say it again. The Lord is with him. He becomes successful, but his life is in a place circumstantially where he doesn't desire it to be. My definition of God is with me is always my life in a circumstance where I want to be. But where I need God is in every circumstance. The ones where I want to be, but where I actually, I need God in those places, but equally powerful, I need God when my life is in a circumstance where 
I don't want it to be. And this is where Joseph is. And in this place, there is a test that comes to his life, and it's called the trust test. And the trust test is simply and profoundly this. Can you trust God sees you and is with you in the midst of a circumstance that you were going through that you had no intention, you had no dream, you had no desire, you had no plan to be walking through? Can you trust that God sees you and that God is with you in the midst of the circumstance you find yourself living through? And you may be living through that circumstance because of the choices that you made. You may be going through it because of the choices that another made or a combination of Joseph of both of those two things colliding. And so God is with Joseph as he's being led through where he doesn't wish to be. Some of the greatest revelations of who God is will be when you're living through circumstances where you don't wish you were. Through unjust circumstances and unfair choices, God is forming Joseph's character. Remember, God's destiny for Joseph is not just that he has a dream and that his brothers bow down to him and he feels good about that. No, God's ultimate destiny for Joseph is that his character would be formed, his godly character, we would say today, our Christ-like character would be formed so that he can actually steward the influence of a nation, of nations, plural, in terms of a crisis that is forthcoming that they don't know yet, but God does. How many of you know that God begins to work on our character for what is forthcoming when all we can see is the moment? All we can see is what is today. And so sometimes we are disillusioned with where God is and what God is doing in our lives because again, you and I at best, the epistles say that we see through a glass dimly, but God is the author of all things who sees the beginning from the end. This is easy to preach. It's hard to live. It's hard to walk through. And so he's been betrayed by his brothers and the scripture says that God is with Joseph even though he experiences betrayal. And now he is enslaved first by the Ishmaelites and then by the Egyptians. And it says that God is with him. Let's pause here and articulate. Remember, remember, remember. What God allows is never to be confused with what he approves. God never has, never will condone slavery. Ever, ever, ever. What God allows is never to be confused with what he approves. Genesis 39, verses three to four, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. And Potiphar also put him in charge of the household and placed all that he owned. Everyone say all that he owned. All that he owned, it's important, under his authority. And so Joseph is enslaved at this place, but now he is in a position of authority. Those two things inter interact. It says, from the time that he was put in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed, come on now, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household because of Joseph. I don't know about you, but I want God to bless me. Not the Egyptian household. Did you know that as salt and light, God has given us, spreads us all out as this church community, all throughout this community and surrounding communities through the week. Did you know that some of you are bringing blessing everywhere you go through your obedience? Isn't that an amazing thing that we can see here, though? It says the Lord's blessing was on all that he owned. On all that the Egyptian owned. Oh, in his house and in his fields. And it says here that, that he left all he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern, Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So it's biblically, Potiphar was a foodie. He was how do I know that? Well, I happen to follow him on Instagram and he incessantly takes photos of his lunch. That's how I know. All right. No. 
Basically, it's saying to us here, Joseph was not his cupbearer. That's the only thing that he wasn't, which is actually foreshadowing where the story's about to go. He wasn't his cupbearer. He didn't eat his food. Someone else did that. But the test that Joseph is facing here is the same test you may face in your life, or you will, and it's the faithfulness test. So there's the, the trust test, which really says, can I trust God that sees me when I'm going through circumstances that I don't want to go through? Can I trust that God is with me? in the circumstances where I don't want to be, but the faithfulness test is, are you being faithful with what God has placed into your hands? Here's one thing that I know about stewardship that is equally applied to all of our lives, though we are stewarding unequal weights. Some of you have more, some of you have less, but here's what's true of all of us. None of us can steward tomorrow's dreams, desires, or like tomorrow's realities. None of us can steward what is to come tomorrow. Steward what is to come tomorrow. We can only steward what God puts into our hands today. And so you may have a dream for tomorrow. You may have a dream for your marriage. You may have a dream for your kids. You may have an idea for this, an idea for that. That's wonderful. That's vision. That's powerful. That's important. But the only way to get there is to steward properly what you're given today. That's it. The time, the talent, the treasure, all of those things. So here's Joseph. Remember, God's dream is that he would actually rise to a position of authority. His family is going to bow down to him, but not in the way that he thinks. And he's going to be in a place of authority where he has to adjudicate justice. He has to adjudicate life well, equally between different nations. But here he is in a place that he is in a subservient role, in a position in his life. He's enslaved, yet he is still learning to steward everything that God puts into his hands. It's why we keep talking about again and again. I know, I know that I know that circumstances that matter, they matter greatly. But your choices to steward in the circumstance have greater effect and influence in our lives. Are you being faithful with what God has placed into your hands today? It's amazing because Potiphar does not know the God of Israel, but he can see that God is with Joseph. Did you know that at work, at school, at college or university, in your family. They may not appreciate everything that you believe, but they can actually see if you steward well what God puts into your hands, they may not put their faith in God, but they can see that God is with you. They can begin to see these things. This is what we are seeing here in the text, that Joseph is living with a different spirit, though he's going through circumstances that are unjust. He is moving with a different spirit. And as a result of it, his Egyptian master does not know the God of Israel, but he recognizes that God is with Joseph. It's a remarkable juxtaposition that Joseph has to trust that God is with him, even though he is where he doesn't want to be. And the way that looks is that he's faithful with what God entrusts to him, what is placed into his hand. And as a result of it, where Joseph is trusting God, I can't see that you're here. I can't see how this circumstance is good. I can't see anything good in this moment. But if he is faithful to trust, and if he is faithful to be faithful with what God has put into his hands, others can see God in the midst of it. Isn't that a remarkable juxtaposition? We have to keep our eyes on Jesus and trusting that he is with us. But if we do, others can see that God is with us. And I think that the opposite of that is equally true. Four questions that I would love for you to reflect on in this moment we have together. They're just four am I being faithful questions based on scripture. Number one, am I faithful with the relationships God has placed into my life? And number two, am I faithful with the spiritual gifts or the abilities or the skills God has placed into my life? Am I being faithful? Not am I being successful, am I being faithful? Number three, am I faithful with the finances God has placed into my life? 
all of them? Am I faithful with the finances God has placed into my life? Number four, am I faithful with my attitude? Everyone say, yuck. Oh, am I faithful with my attitude where God has positioned me in life? Am I faithful with my attitude? Now, as we shared last week, biblical story, like the Old Testament that we're in, they use characters like Joseph as vehicles. And they're designed so that we can see the decisions that they make, the choices that they make, and then we should also reflect upon our own life. But here's what I want you to know as we go through this story. Here is the bias. There's Everybody lives with bias. Every one of us have bias, and it can show up in lots of different ways, but there's also a Christian bias, and it's this. When we read the Bible, we always picture ourselves as the best character in the story. Like when I'm going through the story of Joseph, I'm seeing myself as Joseph. I don't see myself as Potiphar. But I behave like him sometimes. I don't see myself in a moment like Potiphar's wife, but I can behave like her sometimes. It's kind of like when you're reading in the New Testament. You know, don't ever, okay, this is go here though. Don't ever picture yourself as Jesus. Can I just say this? Jesus is always Jesus. You're somebody else in the story. As you're reading through the story of Jesus, you're like, well, naturally that's me. Actually, no, naturally that's, that's not you actually at all. And all of us can testify that you're not that guy. You're becoming that guy, but you ain't yet that guy. And you can all testify, yeah, you're not that guy. You want to become like that guy, but you're not that guy. It's good. So as you go through the story, don't only think, I'm Joseph. Put yourself in all the different story characters. How am I behaving in this moment? So here, the Old Testament writers are going to use physical, a physical description of Joseph. You know, all of our actors and actresses, they're all like handsome and beautiful because we're externally driven people, not the Hebrew culture. They were character driven people, so they never used physical characteristics unless it tied into the story. Now it's going to tie into the story, and here's what it says. So Potiphar was a foodie. I'm not saying that affected his body. All I'm saying is he was a foodie. But it says that Joseph was well built and handsome. Oh, thank you very much, Joseph. Joseph was jacked and good looking. And after some time, his master's wife, so Potiphar's wife, looked longingly. Everyone say, looked longingly. And after some time, his master's wife looked longingly at this well-built, handsome dude named Joseph and said, sleep with me. And for the kids in the room, that simply was an invitation for a nap. That's all that was. Just want to have a nap? Who doesn't like a nap? For the adults, those who have ears, let them hear what the scriptures are actually saying. <laughs> so why did the Old Testament writers include now this physical description about Joseph where it has been non-existent through the rest of the story? Why do they do it? I think it's to intentionally show us that lust looks at others differently than love. It says here that Potiphar's wife looked longingly at Joseph. But she looks not with the eyes of love, but with the eyes of lust. And the eyes of lust is the antithesis of the eyes of love. God, who is love, is with Joseph, even when his life is grossly unfair. God does not abandon Joseph, because love doesn't do that. And God, who is faithful, is with Joseph, even as the favor on his life mostly benefits others, because this is what the love of God and the favor of God looks like. Yet lust... The Old Testament writers invite us to look into them. When you and I look at one another with the eyes of lust, 
When we look at one another with the eyes of lust, it is always we are looking at one another from an exclusively selfish position. What can I get from you? And lust is nothing like love. And I think it's important for you and I to engage this just for a moment together today because the question we have to ask is where does lust originate? And oftentimes Jesus says it's, it's all in here, right? But what we see in the Old Testament actually matches what Jesus teaches specifically about love, about lust, excuse me. Because what he actually says is lust originates in the eyes before it shows up in the heart. Lust of the eyes got to connect to something in the heart, yes, and that's where it's birth and away it goes, but it's about guarding our eyes. His master's wife looked longingly at Joseph. David, in another story, Old Testament story, it says that when he should have been in a different place circumstantially, when the kings go off to war, David should have been over there, but he looks at Bathsheba lustfully in his heart. It's his eyes or her eyes in this instance that are the issue. Jesus says, but I tell you, everyone, and that includes you and I, who looks lustfully at a woman or lustfully at someone from a selfish perspective of whatever it is that you want them to do for you, to treat them no longer as people, but as products. When we treat one another not as people, but as products, for our benefit, exclusive benefit, it says, lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. That something in here gets connected to something out here. Great question all of us need to ask ourselves is how do we actively guard our eyes? Here's what I know to be true. Screens, disciple. Two words. Screens, disciple. Period. The phone in your pocket, the computer, the laptop, the TV, whatever it is. They form. They disciple. The only question we have to work out is to what, where, how, and we work, we, all those things, but screens disciple. But you can actually have no screens in your life and still struggle with lust. How do I guard my eyes is a great question every one of us needs to answer. And it says here that Potiphar's wife's advance didn't happen a single time. It happens repeatedly. She spoke to Joseph day after day and he refused, he refused to go to bed with her. Now Joseph is facing the third and final test that we are talking about today. So we've done the trust test and we've looked at the faithfulness test. Now let's finish here, which is the integrity test. Will you touch what is not yours to touch? Will you touch what is not yours to touch? It is so insightful for us to see how Joseph responds. It says, but he refused. So day after day, day after day, day after day, she looks longingly, lustfully at him and He's handsome and he's well-built. And so lust looks to get from him what lust wants. It says, but he refused. And he says these words, look. He said to his master's wife, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all, everyone say all. He has put all that he owns under my authority. And no one in this house is greater than I am. And he says this though, he has withheld nothing from me except you. Oh, loved ones, we should be hearing Genesis chapter one where God says, anything in this garden you can have, but this one thing. Anything you can have, but this one thing. Don't eat of it. Because when you do, you'll surely die. 
And as much as we've advanced in 2022, there's many things at work, at school. There's lots of things that may be under your authority and that you can touch, but God will place things into your life that are wrong, but you still can't touch them. Potiphar's wife is clearly in the wrong here. But he says, no, 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 no. You've withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. And so how can I do this immense evil? And how can I sin against God? Now, just a few verses ago and a few chapters ago, Joseph was in a place where he has a dream. And when he has a dream and he sees his brothers bowing down to him, he automatically goes and tells them. Though he knows that his brothers hate him, he tells them the dream anyways. And they respond terribly and he doubles down on it and he tells them again. Because if you're going to do something dumb, do it really, really dumb. He does it again. And as a result of their actions and the consequences of both choices, again, he ends up into a pit. Now the Old Testament writers are inviting you and I to see Joseph is not going to make that mistake again. He's not going to fall for the test of pride. He's not. In this moment, when he sees an opportunity that could bring him pleasure, let's just say it that way politely, he no longer only sees himself in the story. He sees Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, but ultimately he, see God, he sees God in the midst of the story. Beloved, that is what integrity does. It is the willingness to look at one thing from different perspectives rather than just your own perspective. This is something I think every one of us have wrestled with to one degree or another in the last few years. Joseph's integrity honors God and it honors Potiphar. And Joseph, again, as I said, he, he receives a dream and you see him taking action. Now you see him pausing and purposely praying because he knows that there's no right way to do the wrong thing. He just knows it. And as a result of it, here's, if this was a Disney film, if Joseph's story was a Disney story, it would have been like dot, dot, dot. He is rewarded. He becomes personal. Da, 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 da. A little more crisis than he is like, I'm the king of the world. That's Disney. But we don't live in Disney stories. We live in a fallen, broken world. And you, I have to remember that active right now is God's kingdom. And equally active, though not equally in authority, but equally active, is the kingdom of darkness that wants to rob, kill, and destroy. And you and I live in the space between where we make good choices and bad choices. And so the cauldron that is that soup, God is working in the mess of humanity. One day, all things are going to be made new, but not yet everything is made new. And so in the mess of this you see in Joseph's life that he does the right thing. He did the wrong thing and then his brothers do the wrong thing and he's in a pit. Now he does the right thing. He makes the right choice. And if this was a good story, then the right choice would be rewarded. But watch what happens. It says Potiphar's wife, because she only looks at him with lust. She told the same story that this Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. So once again... As we see, his, the beginning of his life, he is enslaved by a lie of his brothers. And now he is experiencing, though he's made the wrong choice with his brothers, he makes the right choice here, yet he is still being enslaved by somebody else's lie. He left his garment beside and ran outside. And when his master heard the story, his wife told us, these, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. And he sang, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. 
I love how worship is always a projection of who we most want to be. But sometimes it's disconnected from reality, isn't, isn't it? Because here's truthfully how we most of us would say, okay, I won't, I won't apply you. You can apply it if it fits you. Here's how I genuinely sing that song. I will make room for you as long as you do what I want you to. As long as I do what you want, I want you to. So in other words, God, if you are good, then it means this. God, if you are loving, then it means this. God, if you are healer, then it means this. God, if you are provider, then it means promotion. Doesn't mean prison. Oh, but sometimes it does. Not because God approves of it, but he allows it for a grander purpose that we can't see. And here's what I want you to know. That on earth, passing trust, faithfulness, and integrity tests are not always rewarded. But in heaven, they are always recorded. I'm going to say it again. On earth, when you passed the tests of trust and faithfulness and integrity, they are not always rewarded. But heaven records them. Some of you, if you pass the test of trust, faithfulness, and integrity, your business will contract. It will not grow immediately. If you decide to no longer take things under the table, your business might contract. It may not feel like a reward, but heaven records trust and faithfulness and integrity. How many of you know following Jesus ain't convenient How many stories? How many stories do we have to continue to live through where you and I fail these tests? Joseph will remain in prison for, as the kids would say, a hot minute. I'll translate those of you who are over whatever age, you don't know what a hot minute is. I don't really know what a hot minute is. But all I know is Joseph, listen, as a result of another lie, he is going to be in prison for a decade. I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. Really? Some of you are like, God, could I take back what I sang like eight minutes ago, please? Well, a little more than eight minutes. Remember a few moments ago I said that lust looks differently than love? Where do I get that? Where can we get that? Well, the entire decade Joseph is in jail, there's no record of Potiphar's wife ever telling the truth. There's a whole difference, again, between confession and caught. whole thing for another day. But Joseph's life is now again enslaved by two powerful lies that others tell about him. One is going to hold his family in captivity for about 17 years. And now this one is going to hold him in prison for a decade. And I'm sure if you ask Joseph, the moment he had a dream, he didn't see the way to the palace was first pit, then prison. But yet, how many of you know in the space between what God desires 
what the enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy, and then our imperfect choices in the mix of these things, in the cauldron that is, that's the reality that we live in. Here's what is beautiful. You and I see through a glass dimly. We don't get the whole story. But even though Joseph makes a wrong decision with his brothers and a right decision here that gets him into the wrong circumstance, here's what I want you to know. God's purpose for your life is greater than these things. Though Joseph is where he doesn't want to be, God, who is the beginning, he's the author and the finisher of life, can work in the midst of the mess, whether we've made a dumb choice or the enemy has unjustly robbed something from us. Wherever you are, God moves. I'm not saying wherever you are, there's not consequences. No, no, no. But wherever you are, God sees you and is with you and can move. If you abide on my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Like Potiphar's wife, do you look at others with lust instead of love? Do you have any authority in your life and in a position of authority like Potiphar, do you treat others as possessions or as people? Like Joseph, maybe you've made the right choice but there was no reward Well, can you take solace in the fact that heaven did record it? Genesis 39, verse 21 says this. But the Lord was with Joseph. I'm sure at this point Joseph is saying, so what? But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Dot, dot, dot. Extended kindness to him while he remains in prison for a decade. We all go through circumstances that we don't desire to, but it doesn't mean that there are not gifts of kindness in the midst of our despair, our disillusionment. It does not mean that God has left us because church, beloved, there's a big difference between being forgotten and being forsaken. And forsaken, we will never be. And in Christ, forgotten, we never are. So Joseph now has gone from the pit and finds himself in a prison because he actually does the right thing, not the wrong thing. And while in prison, as we will see next week briefly, all he wishes to be is remembered. All he wishes to be is seen. And this is the heart behind our annual Easter prison packs. Because we here in the Orleans campus, we're going to, use it at all, we're going to do this at all of our campuses today, but our neighbor is actually the detention center. Where every Easter we have the opportunity to write cards and then to give gifts to the prisoners next door. And, and, and I want you to know it's, it's not just this beautiful, like, oh, what a, like, what a hallmark moment. No, if we do this for a longer season and if you ever have the privilege of delivering gifts, you'll come face to face with your own bias like I have. I was fine giving out the gifts until we got to the sexual offender unit. And then I got stuck. And I got stuck by, are they deserving? And I remind myself in that moment that I am the least deserving of God's grace and God's mercy. So it's not a pretty hallmark thing that we do. One time we were doing this and I had someone stop me at the door who lost a daughter. And the daughter that they lost at the hands of the man next door grabbed hold of me with passion anger, saying, how dare you write a card of graciousness 
to them. And I had no judgment because I understood his perspective, but I understood that he was equally bound by unforgiveness. But I understood this is not a hallmark moment. This is a gospel moment we engage. And it's not like, oh, we sit from the perspective of like, oh, look at us, the heroes, and them, the bad. No, no, all of us guilty, but by the grace of God. And so we extend forgiveness, not because we're deserving and they're not. No, we extend forgiveness because we've been forgiven.